Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a podcast for creators of the comedy variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. So glad to have you here. If you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, then please leave a review and also subscribe. And check us out on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at There It Is Pod. And you can find me at Jason Farr Jokes on Twitter. Very fun episode today. I have on Joyelle Nicole from New York City. She's a stand-up that I saw with Justina in at the Comedy Cellar. And she was fantastic. She was also a great, great chat. She gives us a lot of wisdom. And we talk about her career and about the New York comedy scene. We also talk a little bit about an advocacy group that she is a part of called Lady Parts Justice. Let's get right to it. My chat with Joyelle Nicole. It was really great to see you at Comedy Cellar. We had a really great time, and we loved you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think that was my first set you saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you all, you pretty much have a couple of shows a night, right, when you're booked? Yeah, it depends. Um, I get, I get like, a couple shows a week because I'm brand new in there, and I'm mm-hmm. not one of the famous people yet. So right. <laughs> I get a couple of shows a week, and I'm really appreciative, appreciative, appreciative of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Where now? Where are you originally from? I'm a Jersey girl, born and raised in Union, New Jersey. Oh, cool! And you're living in New York City now, Brooklyn. Yes. Oh, awesome! So you started your career in comedy when? In 2007 in Los Angeles, California. Okay. All right. Um, from New Jersey, have been in comedy for nine years now. But you started in L.A. and you're now in New York. So let's talk about how you did that. What drove you out to L.A.? I graduated from college. I went from Jersey to Boston for college. And when I graduated, my sister applied to film school. She applied to NYU and USC. And when she got into USC, I was like, yeah, I'll move out there with you. And so I moved out and uh, she started doing you know, her USC thing. And I started doing acting. But then I found myself at comedy clubs every week Mm -hmm. and then twice a week and there was this comedy show on wednesday nights that kevin hart was the host of and everybody in this it was a sketch show so they do sketches in between stand-up and everybody in the group was a stand-up comedian so from there like when i joined it the group disbanded a couple of months after i joined it because kevin hart had to go get famous (laughs) and uh Everyone in the group was a comic, so me and this girl, Candace Thompson, just started doing open mics together, and uh, that's how I started. That's really cool. Sounds like a very interesting structure for a show, too. So there would be sketching scenes and then stand-up? Yeah. And then another sketch and then stand-up? Yep, exactly how it went. Yeah, and then like somebody from the sketch scene would just do stand up. Like everybody'd leave and the one person would stand up there sometimes. It was it was really cool. How much time would they do in between the scenes? Probably like eight minutes. Wow. That's yeah. an interesting flow. How did that work with, with the with the flow? 
it worked really well. It was a really good show. Um, it, it, yeah, it was great. I wish they could have uh, continued it longer, but it, it served its purpose for me. Was was Kevin Hart also in sketches, or was he hosting and coming back? Up, oh yeah, up? for sure. He was. He's definitely in the sketches. That's cool. That's, that's I didn't know that about his career, and it's cool that yours overlapped with that. So, what brought you back from LA over to this side of the country, to the East Coast? Um, my whole first year of comedy, I just kept asking all the comics for advice. Every time I meet a comic, I'd be like, what's your advice to a new comic? And I met Chappelle my first year and I asked him what his advice was. And he's like, I got two pieces of advice. He's like, first of all, don't listen to what anyone says, including me. (laughs) And he's like, and with that being said, you should move to New York because the standup's better in New York. And, um, yeah, you'll, you'll have a better pursuit of it. So, I took his advice two years after that and moved back home to the East Coast. Yeah, I've heard that it's hard to start out in L.A. as a stand-up, and not just for career stuff, but just because there's so many suits and industry people in the audience. It's just not the funnest place to cut your teeth and grow. Not even that, but it's just you don't get lengthy enough stage time, like... You know, the sets out here, if you're doing them at a club, are sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes 20. You're not getting that in L.A. If you're starting out, you're getting three minutes, five minutes. And then you'll get bumped by, you know, somebody. Bill Burr was one of the first people to bump me out of a five-minute set because he had to uh, practice for a late-night set. So, like, that's the type of things that'll happen in L.A. because all the big dogs are out there and everybody's out there with their careers. Mm. And so when you're starting, you're just kind of at the bottom of a of a huge barrel <laughs> right yeah and that makes a lot of sense since that is where so many people are trying to get ready for industry stuff i mean it's too bad that you get bumped i just mean i can see why that happens and why new york is going to be the better place for you to go so you move out to new york and that was what around 2009 2010 yeah, that was the end of 2009. I, I took a little detour and was in Atlanta for a while and then got up to New York in 2010. And how did that process go for you in, in getting into the thick of things in New York? Uh, it just it just went. You know, you just go, you go to open mics, you go to shows, you hang out. Um, I, I've been hanging out at the Comedy Cellar probably since I moved here. So I know everybody there and um, and that's hanging out for me is as important as getting on stage just because people need to see your face and need to know who you are and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I feel like that's part of how I got into the comedy cellar without having television credits because I'm funny enough, but I also, you know, there a lot. So it's kind of like home for me. Um, yeah, it, it, the transition it it went. You know, it's it's been a, it's been years since I've been here, and I've just been you know gritting my teeth, going out and making friendships. So now that people take me on the road with them, right. which is awesome. Yeah. Right. So you are nine years in. Where would you consider that? Is are you a middler now, or you know, are you a feature? What what do you consider your career to be now in stand up? I am a fantastic feature. I yeah. love being a feature. Um, <laughs> I I like the the non pressure of being a feature because it's like you don't 
You don't have to do too long. You can get in and get out and people love you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, summer feature. I love it. Yeah, you're you're keeping the ball that's already been started rolling. To you just yeah. keep it rolling. <laughs> yeah, or start it rolling. You know, sometimes sometimes I just, the openers they, don't. They, right. One of the things that you know, so I'm moving up there in late February, and I do improv and I do stand up. And we, so I'm, I'm moving up there with my girlfriend as well, who also does improv and a little bit of stand up. And I want to get into the scene there. For other people who want to move to New York City to get into the comedy scene or to go to any big city and get into the comedy scene, what is that like? It's Is it meeting people, hanging out, and on top of that being good? <laughs> you know, like what, what would you say is the, the are these steps for that? Well, the irony is sometimes you don't even have to be good, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Meeting people, hanging out for sure. Um, going to as many shows as you can a night. I mean, there's so many. Mm-hmm. When I first moved, I was going to you know three or four a night. I definitely do not do that as much anymore because I'm old and exhausted. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's my advice. Meet people, hang out, find out where the good shows are. Knitting Factory on Sunday nights is one of my favorite shows. That was started by Hannibal Burris and. Now it's continued by um, three of my really good friends. And that's one of the best places to hang out because you get to know comics and you get to make friendships. And friendships are a huge part of this industry. You know, you'll get jobs through friendship more than talent sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, really good advice, especially hearing about Knitting Factory, because that was my next question. Or what are some of the good rooms there? Because there are going to be plenty of places that are doing an open mic or something, but knowing the good places are really <laughs> helpful. Yeah, Monday night's uh, Broken Comedy at Bar Matchless in Brooklyn is great. Uh, Knitting Factory is on Sunday nights. And outside of that, I would say hanging out at Stand Up New York is great because they give a lot of opportunities to new people. And they'll give you like guest spots and check spots. Uh, check spots are from the devil, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it will... It will get you, you'll cut your teeth on check spots, you know. Is it just a tough crowd? Well, they're just not paying attention. So you have Mm -hmm. to fight, you know, it's a fight and you'll earn your stripes as a comic. And you'll also get used to people not listening to you, which is great because then you get settled in that and you you realize that's the worst that can happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. if they don't listen, fine. And you just plow through. So. Right. Well, that's one of the things I want to know more about is getting into that mindset of just powering through people not paying attention, but also keeping the right rhythm for the joke. So if someone who is listening and paying attention, they know, oh, they're funny. They're they're good. They got good stuff. Yeah. I mean, because I've had points where I've had terrible sets and there will still be someone that'll come up to me and be like, you were great. Like I could tell that you're funny. That was just mm-hmm. a bad crowd or what have you, you know, or, or that was just an off night. So that's usually what keeps you going, especially after you bomb. Yeah. <laughs> One or two people that'll just be like, I really thought you were funny. So that keeps you going. Um, but you have to get used to silence. Um, mm-hmm. Silence is one of those things that is going to happen no matter how big you are. You know, I, I've seen some of my greatest people that I look up to go through silence in their sets and they, it doesn't affect them because 
they've done comedy for so long. So it's like, I'm 10 years in at this point. I've dealt with a lot of silence. I mean, it could still jar me um, now, but I, I get through it. You know, you just get over it. And that's why you just get up as much as possible, especially when you're starting, because mm-hmm. you just get, you have to get used to every type of situation. I've heard Chris Give Rock me- say that you'll never get away from bombing, no matter how big you get. No, 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 no. And, bo- and bombing's going to change. For, you know, like D- a Dave Chappelle bomb is not going to be a Joyelle bomb. And a Joyelle bomb, <laughs> you know, it's like the the bombs change. So what might be bombing for them is not going to be bombing for us. It might be the best that we've ever had. But right. yeah, you can't get away from it. And a lot of people ask me that as a comic. They're like, do you bomb? I'm like, we all do. And they're like, yeah. what? Dave Chappelle. If your first time doing a joke, you know, you don't know how it's going to go. No, and that's what open mics are for. Um, usually, um, I don't do them anymore. But now, because now what what you'll do is you learn how to you know do your your hot stuff up top, and then you work the new jokes in the middle. Oh, right, yeah. You know, because usually what'll happen is if you're having a conversation. Another piece of advice I got that was really great is if you ever say something to someone and it makes them laugh, write it down because you could probably use it on stage. So that is good advice. Yeah, so through your conversation, talking to people, you're like, oh, I made that person laugh with this story I just told. So, hey, let me try it on stage. I'm wanting to get a little bit more, because one of the things I want to get better at is being able to do a set, and if it's not getting a good response, not having that stunned sort of reaction. I don't necessarily have that stunned reaction anymore, but you know that that moment where you see somebody who has been telling a joke and it always kills. And then they tell that joke one place and it gets nothing from the crowd. And they, you see it in their face of like, Oh, they get a little staggered. Like they just got punched in the face in a boxing match or something. Yeah. Um, Headlights. Right. And I'm trying to figure out other than of course, like you just have to go up there and do it a lot. Like where's your head at in those moments to not have that, look on your face um i think for me at this point especially when you have time tested material that kills more often than not eight times out of ten so for those two times out of ten i'm just like oh this audience just ain't feeling it like they're Mm -hmm. just not here and i don't know i don't think i still have that facial expression but i might i I don't know what my face looks like when i'm on stage (laughs) right so, yeah, because, I mean, it, it happens at the cellar because, you know, when you're doing so many sets, one of them, if I do five sets in a week, one of them's going to not be great. That That's just the numbers game. So, right. Uh, and, and that's the thing about New York is that you're going to do so many sets that you don't get used to either sensation, whether it's bombing or killing. You know, you don't you don't. Uh, rely on either one. So it's like, yeah, I just had a great set, but I can go down the street in an hour and have a terrible set. So you kind of just are just getting used to just keep going up on stage no matter what the outcome is because it's got to be all the outcomes. Yeah, that I bet keeps it pretty exciting too, though. Yeah, exciting is a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I was really impressed by uh, when we saw you at Comedy Cellar is this for one, it just seemed like everybody could have been the headliner that night. But one of the things that I found interesting, and I don't know people outside of my town if they're gonna, if this is gonna track with anybody. But one of the things I noticed was like the first person comes up, 
after the host. And he was the only person who had notes, so it just seemed like, okay, maybe this guy is going to be working on some stuff. And uh, he had a he had a strong set, solid set, but it, it did feel like, okay, this is opening up, we're getting the ball rolling. And then with every comic, it seemed like the set just got the ball rolling more and more and more, and it just kept ratcheting up. And at some point, it was like, how can this ratchet up anymore? But then somebody brings it up even more. And I've just not seen a stand-up show of that nature where there are that many comics on it. I've seen it where there've been two openers and a feature and then the headliner, but I've not seen it where it was seven people and no one was really uh, the opener. And then you have this person who's a feature. It was seven people. The last person is just being called the headliner because they're going last. And they did not, those shows did not have that kind of momentum going. Is there any sort of trick to that, or is that just because they're New York comics, so they're really strong? Well, you were at the cellar. The cellar is the best of the best, so that's everybody. Like, that's all the great, all the great working people in comedy are at the cellar. You know, mm-hmm. so they're they're all headliners. <laughs> they are all headliners, and right, right. Um, like, I would definitely say I'm for sure the baby of that group because all of these guys have been doing comedy for 15, 20 years. And that is a New York thing. Um, All the comedy clubs in New York, with the exception of Caroline's and Gotham have that same um, five to six, seven comics on a show and everybody does 10 to 15 or maybe 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Caroline's has the headliners. The headliners go there and they will bring a, a host and a feature and a headliner. That's the traditional comedy set that is around the country. But I think that is a New York thing um, to just have comics back to back to back just going up and doing their time because you want to get as many headliners as possible. Because if you're if you're just doing headliners each night, that that's way less comics to be able to get stage time. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was a really fun show. Yeah, it's the best club in the country, if you ask me. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. One of the things I want to talk to you about was, what is just the process of building a career in New York? Get, if there is just, really a process, it there, sounds like it's... There isn't a process. Right, um, exactly. People do it every type of way. I, I honestly, you just have to get up as much as possible. I, I don't have a manager. Um, so I've done all this on my own. And uh, another piece of advice I've gotten was that your manager will find you. Okay. So if you're just getting up as much as possible doing festivals, festivals are a good way to find a manager. Uh, yeah. And other than that, just talking to everybody, seeing what they're doing, seeing what their process is, um, how, how they found their manager. And most people will just say the person came up to them after they did a set somewhere. Right. You've you've been able to rub elbows with some of the greats. What were some really special moments for you? Oh my goodness! Um, one of the best moments was go well when I first met Chappelle. He did a five and a half hour set at the Laugh Factory in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. That was what I call shit that I didn't know was on my bucket list <laughs> to see. <laughs> um, a, another time. It was him, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, 
uh, Marlon Wayans and Bill Bellamy all on stage at the cellar, just trading stories back and forth and passing the mic. That was amazing. Wow, I bet. I've had, I've had a lot of really crazy experiences. I've flown in a helicopter with Chappelle. I've <laughs> ridden on the back of his motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> I was just at his house in Ohio for a party, and it was the most random <laughs> group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and opening for him was the greatest. I, I feature for Hannibal Burris and Maria Bamford and they had the two of them have put the most money in my pocket out of, uh, any of the headliners around the country. So those are special moments. Um, yeah. doing Bonnaroo. I did Bonnaroo this year for the first time. Wow. Super cool. That was amazing. How much and, time did you do with that? How does because it's a mostly a music festival, right? So like, how much yeah, time they, do comics get? They have a comedy tent at Bonnaroo, mm-hmm. so I uh, I did I think three or four shows, and you do about fifteen twenty minutes each show. That's cool. Yeah, that's really nice. Good for you. That's cool. That's, yeah, that's super exciting. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, and now I've turned I've turned it into a a job because I work for a women's rights organization that was started by one of the co-creators of the Daily Show, Liz Winstead. So oh, she's amazing. She's amazing, and she's my boss. And Lady Parts Justice, we travel all over the country and we do shows for clinic workers and we do shows at political conventions and. It's literally my dream job. I'm the production coordinator, so we make videos and we have rapid response. So now I can make people laugh, but also be socially responsible. That's really amazing and very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like everything I've worked for in this nine years has culminated in this moment to where I'm fully able to eat off of comedy, which is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That's really great. So you, you've had all these years of doing comedy and now it's taking you to advocacy yes what in your background made you want to get into advocacy and did you have any sort of training in that or education in that no training or education it's just the whole premise of wanting to um to do for others one of my favorite quotes is muhammad ali saying that service to others is the rent we pay for our room on earth and that's always resonated with me. My mother's a nurse. So I just, I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor growing up because I was like, I want to heal people. But then I was like, I don't want to take ma- <laughs> like chemistry. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't want to take all the science in college that you had to take to be a doctor. So I was like, I got to figure out something else. So I was a communications major. And now I'm a comedian and a yoga instructor. And I was like, oh, my purpose was that I wanted to heal people. It wasn't that I necessarily had to be a doctor because there's other ways to heal people. Mm-hmm. And now I could do that. And the Lady Parts Justice kind of fell in my lap. But I don't think it did because of just universal energy and me putting out that I want to help. Like I've always loved The Daily Show. I always loved George Carlin because of his social responsibility mm-hmm. with his comedy. And for me, it's all culminated in this moment of my energy and focus of what, you know, always wanting to be able to help but not knowing how to do it. And now I've I found that. <laughs> I've, and I get paid <laughs> to to do that, which is crazy. Yeah, that's amazing, though. That's really great. I want to talk some more about this. How does someone else, whether they're in comedy or not, find what 
their purpose is? Was it something that was on your heart and your mind for so long? Like, how did you make that connection? That's what I think. I think that's what it was. It was on my heart and my mind too, because comedy is a very selfish pursuit. All you're thinking about is yourself, me, 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 me. And while I had that focus because I'm a comic, I, I always knew that there was something outside of me and I wanted to help. But when you're pursuing comedy, you know, it's like, okay, I'm pursuing comedy, but I'm also waitressing. So you just don't really have time sometimes to figure out, oh, how can I help? Can I volunteer? Can I do something? And so when the opportunity came to do a show that was a benefit for Lady Parts Justice, when it was just a concept, when Liz just had the thought about it, she did this fundraiser three years ago. And a friend of mine was like, would you want to be a comic for this fundraiser for this organization? And I was like, hell yeah. I'd love to do comedy for a cause. And then from then on, Liz was just like, let's let's have meetings at my house on Sundays and whoever wants to come can come. And that was three years ago. And last year we got funding. So now it's a full-time job. So I, I was volunteering for two years of my life just knowing that it, it it served me it served me a purpose to do to volunteer it and now it turned into a job. So it's like, yeah, that was something that was just on my heart. And I think if, if it's something you're thinking about all the time, it's going to come to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the lucky people that it came to me. (laughs) I read or heard about a study that was saying that laughter really helps, uh, you know, people who are like cancer patients and different kinds of people just because it gives them, such a good outlook. And then there's also certain things that just the body releases when you laugh uh, and you get more oxygen to the brain and it can. Endorphins. Yeah. You get all these good things from laughter. So I do think laughter is part of a healing process. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. That's been scientifically proven. It's, it's definitely healing. And just the look on people's faces when you, when you do a show, like you come off stage and somebody comes up to you and just, has this huge smile on their face. And I've been told, you know, I was having a bad day until I came to this show and I saw you talk about, you know, whatever, like if I talk about my dating life or, or whatever, I, you know, some girl in the audience will be like, I was sad because my boyfriend broke up with me, but you made that joke about dating and it made me feel better. You know, those moments are so, I've never had a moment like that. I don't think, but just the smiling faces are just so heartwarming. It's such a great thing to see. It's uh, very much a give and take. They're smiling and it makes you smile. And then now you're both smiling. We're all smiling. It's all a good thing. Yeah, it it heals us as much as it heals them. Right. Since comics are very damaged people for the most part. It does. I hear that. And I guess... Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody is damaged to a certain degree. I don't know anyone who's just had such a perfect life. Well, no, I do. But I was about to say, I do. <laughs> no, <bloody laughs> There's certain people who definitely don't have anything to complain about, and they they don't have anything of value to complain about when they do yeah, complain. Yeah, we're colored. We... <laughs> <laughs> right. Very true. Well, I feel like we've reached the end of the podcast, and now is the time for us to create something together. <laughs> I don't know what that could be. Maybe it could be an advocacy group or, you know, finding what my purpose is or working on a joke. What, what would you want to do? Where do you live? I live in South Carolina currently. Oh, I'll be in North Carolina at the end of the month. Oh, uh, where? Charlotte, Asheville, and Raleigh. 
Okay, I'm close to I'm close to Asheville. I'm oh, like cool. an hour away. Where are you going to be performing? Asheville will be at the Great Eagle on October the 30th. Okay. We'll be in Charlotte um, at Visualite on November the 2nd. And then we'll be in Carborough, North Carolina on November 3rd at Cat's Cradle. Okay. So, yeah, those are, those are our upcoming sh- tour shows to get out there and do some advocacy. So we'll be down there um, at the clinics in that area doing some escorting, throwing parties for the clinic workers because a lot of clinics in the in, uh, United States are under attack. You know, they're super under attack from the anti-choice people and mm. our biggest thing is just to make them feel good because nobody makes them feel good nobody says thank you to them no one ever comes to them to to give their appreciation for the work that they do and they're risking their lives you know some of them have to walk into work with bulletproof vests on mm. and that's not the world we should be living in in 2016 no. it's very archaic <laughs> even if you disagree even if someone's like well i'm not pro-choice i'm pro-life okay why would you shoot somebody then if you're pro-life? Yeah, they, they don't understand the hypocrisy. <laughs> they do not understand the hypocrisy of it all. And um, I'm one of those people that's like, I'm willing to get shot for this because it's ridiculous. you know. And I, I understand now how our people felt in the civil rights movement because they're, they're trying to take our rights away. They, they really want women to be in back alleys again having abortions and that's not that's not right you know because honestly i really believe if men could get pregnant abortions would be available at atms so <laughs> it's just all about shaming and shutting women so well i mean there this week was the week of that hashtag repeal amendment 19 could you i mean can you and some women were even tweeting about it it's just like come on it's unbelievable this election cycle is just it's the worst baffling i'm, it's baffling. I'm not sure i didn't look too much into that tweet i just heard about it and was like oh that's pretty messed up but i wasn't sure if it was one of those times where a very small group of people like a dozen people were the ones who originated it and then a bunch of people started talking about it because they thought it was ridiculous and that's why it got attention but because that's happened before, but I wasn't sure if that was this case. Do you know? I think it was it was that, but the fact that it was started, <laughs> it was it it's was started enough. by somebody yeah. who believed who said that that we should repeal the nineteenth, and it's like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's a person living in today's society. I <laughs> I don't yeah, I just don't also, know. Ava DuVernay's new documentary, 13th, is really good about the 13th Amendment and the clause in it about, you know, we freed the slaves, but you can still be a slave if you are considered a criminal in this country. And that's that's the new slavery that we have. And when you have, you know, things like voter ID laws and, and things like that, where they're trying to they're trying to reverse everything. They don't want anybody to be able to vote except for white men. That's basically the premise behind all of this hatred that's going around, like they, they want to be able to make all the laws and it's just like, okay, well, that's not the case. <laughs> There's other people in society. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, so you asked, uh, we got on this train of thought uh, because we were trying to figure out something we could do. And you said, where are you from? And I said, South Carolina. Uh, I didn't yeah. know where you're originally going with. Oh no, I was just wondering. I was just wondering where you're from. Um, oh, okay. I thought, like, what's what city in South Carolina? I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, and, and the which is the upstate 
Okay. And it's okay. becoming a, a thing now. Well, there have been a few publications like USA Today and a couple of other big publications that have talked about us and said we have a nice city, which is nice. We do. Nice. We have a nice oh, city. That's good. that's good. Is it red or blue over there? It's, it's red, right? The state is very red. Um, yeah. Greenville and Charleston in South Carolina are probably more purple. Right, yeah. Like Asheville's one of those like blue oasis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The of a... <laughs> I think Charlotte went blue the last couple of election cycles for president. I'm not positive. And uh, Charleston went blue for President Obama. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what, what can we create? What do you usually create with people? Well, I've, uh, I've done... With uh, one comic named Mia Jackson, we went over a joke. I love Mia. Isn't she great? Yes. That was so fun. I'm glad you two know each other. The world feels like a better place when great people know each other. Yes, it does. It it's does. I a, love that. That's so cool for me. Um, so uh, there's uh, there's that. There's like coming up with a, a joke or, or helping me punch up a joke. Um, so it's kind of whatever the <laughs> guest would really like to do is what usually... I don't. I try not to force anything onto the guest. <laughs> I know because I'm like I'm put on the spot here, and I'm not sometimes good on the spot. <laughs> oh, that's that's fine. Uh, I mean, one person taught me how to beatbox because she's a beatboxer for uh, North Coast, which is an uh, improv hip hop group in New York City. Oh, cool. Yeah, I need to practice. I'm not good at it. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Kayla, if you're listening. So, I have an idea for a joke that came to me yesterday. Maybe you could help me figure out the comedic point of it, because it's just kind of an idea <laughs> at the moment. Okay. So this idea I have, it's to me, it's I feel like it's weird to see old, like older black men, not old, but older black men in their 60s who are dressed like Belle Biv DeVoe did in the early 90s. Yeah. Because I'm seeing that a lot here. I don't know if that happens in New York. Uh, because my context for older black men is that they're wearing nice clothing. Like 30 years ago, if you were like 80 and black, you were probably wearing a three-piece suit. Because the older you got, the older you were, the more likely you were, the more dressed up you were. So I'm trying to figure out how to like take this thought and make it work as a comedic idea. Ah, uh, oh. Okay. <laughs> Put a, me on I mean, I would definitely. There's something in there about how Steve Harvey dresses because I hate that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate that type of. Because um, I'm more into the tailored uh, European look. I don't. I don't uh, like those big palazzo pants <laughs> that <laughs> black men wear in suits. Um, I can't stand it. Uh, Gators that is happening now too. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the colors get crazy. They're getting into these pastels. And yeah, he got away from the pastels at least, but yeah, other people. He influenced a lot of people to go into the pastels. Oh my goodness! And so yeah, that is just not. <laughs> that's not a way to have sex with me. But I don't. <laughs> I don't know who that's for though. I I don't. I guess a church girl. I don't I don't know who that's for. And that is when I see it in South Carolina, that is where I see uh you know, it's like someone who's going to church is that's where I'm seeing pastel colors. Yeah, yeah. Easter Easter Sunday, Easter egg, Easter yeah. <laughs> you look like Easter egg for Easter Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's uh 
I, I <laughs> that's, that's all I got for that is uh, no to Steve Harvey suits. <laughs> <laughs> How do you, when you have an idea, how are you processing that into a more structured joke? I think now that I'm I'm far enough in, I I can tell what's going to be funny, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously only way to only one way to find out is to do it on stage. But like I said, because I recently had a situation, um, I, I might have told this joke when I was at when you saw me was about giving my number to this dude and I found out he was a crip. Um, yeah, you told that one. <laughs> through text, yeah. And so that's the type of thing where it's like, okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so where's the funny in here? Okay, the funny is that he, you know, it's just telling the story. And yeah. I'm, I'm so much more of a storyteller now. I, I wouldn't say I'm the joke, joke, joke person. Okay. I'm, I'm a storyteller. And I, I find the funny in the story. Um with, with whatever the funny beats are. And that just comes with, you know, get on stage and figuring it out, but also having conversations with your friends and retelling the stories to them and then finding out where they're laughing and just mm-hmm. put that directly onto the stage. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good process. Do you do, do you find yourself doing a lot of your honing on stage? Yeah, for sure. I've yeah. gotten into the habit of that the last several years because I'll have an idea like this one and in this sort of moment where I'm bouncing it off people, it's like, okay, I guess you could go here, you could go there. But when I go on stage at our open mic, that's when I'm able to see where are people laughing and then I go into a direction. And then ideas come to me then that yeah. don't come to me when I'm sitting down trying to hash out a joke. <laughs> right, yeah, because you get into a flow. Yeah. Oh, and that, that flow is is uh is something that can only happen after you've been doing it for a certain amount of time. You know, some people get their flow earlier than others. I say there's tortoises and there's hares in this game and some people I'm a tortoise. Uh <laughs> Hannibal Chappelle, those are hares. <laughs> yeah. Uh I'd say Bill Burr is a tortoise. Like there's there's certain people that I just have a slower pace to to get to where they have to go. And I see. What makes be- the Chris Rocks a hair? Is it that they're sitting down and crafting the jokes? Oh, no. It's just the younger, when you're super young and you pop, you know, if you, they say overnight success in comedy is in less than 10 years. That's overnight right. success. Right. So, you know, it's like you, you get a comedy special and you're five years in, that's, that's a hair. But, you know, somebody like Burr, it's like he's he's been putting out comedy specials every year, but that's only been for like the past five years or so. It seems Mm -hmm. maybe longer than that. And he's over 20 years in the game. Right. Somebody be like, who's this new guy, Bill Burr? And it's like, no, he's not new (laughs) at all. In a way, that's a good thing to have been on the stage that much before everyone starts seeing you because you're so experienced. Oh gosh, yeah, he has all the seasoning of. Oh yeah, um, he's top five for me. He's one of the top five, so <laughs> I just think he's super great. Um, so yeah, it you know it depend it just depends on the person uh, um, mm-hmm. of when they when they pop. So that's for me is what a tortoise and a hare is. And so you're you're figuring out your rhythm on stage. I'm a slower mover, and I'm figuring out my rhythm and my comfort while I'm on stage. And I, I'm still doing that, you know, 10 years. Oh my God, almost 10 years in. I'm still trying to be comfortable. Cause I don't know if you ever can be comfortable, fully comfortable right. on stage. Right. You just, just get more used to it, more used to the discomfort. 
<laughs> I I want to get better at being disciplined and being able to sit down and get into the flow so I can write more and just be a little bit more diligent. But it just seems as time goes on, the harder it gets to be able to get in that frame of mind. Oh, I can't do that. And that's that's um, part of <laughs> my... Uh, I, I feel like that's a that's a bit of a problem. I don't have focus, you know, so that that is hard to do to have focus and to sit down and to write and say, I'm going to write for the next two, three hours. Um, I've never really been able to do that. I just get on stage. Well, there are a lot of people like like you and they're successful, too. So that's good. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of also getting older is that I'm me and this is how I am. <laughs> and uh, I can't really change it i mean i guess i could change it but i i'm okay i'm okay with where i am yeah that's good yeah well i say there it is let's call it there thanks so much for being on the podcast yeah thank you jason for having me i appreciate it looking forward to you coming to new york and hopefully i'll see you in Asheville. get out of that show come down to Asheville. hang out with us some nuggets of knowledge in there about stand-up comedy and how to approach it. I especially liked the part where she said someone suggested to her that if she's talking to somebody and she says anything that makes them laugh, to write that down. I think that's really good advice. Good stuff in there. And if you want to look up more about Joyelle, you can go to her website, Joyelle Nicole. The link for that will be in the notes. Also, uh, you can go to ladypartsjustice.com if you want to look up information about them, see some videos, or go see them live. And if you don't already know, we have a website too. There it is, pod.com. You can check it out for blogs and older episodes. You can also support the podcast. Just click on support, and we would very much appreciate it. It'll help us keep the lights on here. <laughs> and we hope you all have their itis. Well, there it is, another episode of There It Is. Next week's episode, also going to be knowledgeable and from someone that I saw in New York City. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.